Well, if you will, at this time, open your Bibles to Psalm 119, verse 1. Turn all the way back to verse 1. And if you're visiting, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. This morning, we are coming back to our study of Psalm 119. And if you've been with us over the past few years, you know that for 16 years we have taken Psalm 119, a stanza or two every year, except for last year. Last year was a unique year that we didn't do it. And so those years that I did pick up two, we kind of got ahead of ourselves. But we're getting back to it this year. This is the longest psalm in the Bible. It's the longest paragraph in the Bible. And it's one that often gets overlooked because as I've been studying it, and I've been trying to unlock it, and I think there's been pieces that I've helped to unlock for myself and for you as we've studied it. There's one thing that I realize is I think as you get lost in this, and I think the reason you can get lost in it is there's no story here. There's not a story. Some people, commentators have said the first two stanzas sort of serve like as a prologue, but there isn't like a story that unfolds through the 172 verses each stanza like sort of like almost stands on its own i would say but as we come to this psalm it's incredibly important i believe because of what god has put in here if you look at verse one it says how blessed are those whose way is blameless whose walk in the, who walk in the law of the lord how blessed are those who observe his testimonies who seek him with all their heart the word for blessedness kicks off this in the first two verses, and it's an important concept. To be blessed means to be happy, to be in a good position. The root of the Hebrew word there conveys a happiness, but not like a, a silly joyfulness. I think a happiness that as we study that, it comes from a place that where you're in a good position. The author who writes this psalm is in a horrible situation. We're going to see as we go through it, he's going through a lot of difficulty, and I know that that is something that could seem paradoxical. Like, how could you be in a tough position, but yet be someone that's happy? Well, here's the kicker. You're going to see by having these principles implemented and put into your life, I believe you can have that inner joy. And I can tell you how critical this is as we go through this text and we do just a little overview again this morning. That's what I'd like to do when we come back to this that you could say, this is true of me, because I can guarantee you this in 2017. Trials, difficulties, you know. Listen, no matter how many times you've heard, Happy New Year, it's going to be like a good year. I heard that last year, and I can tell you, last year was a time of incredible, intense struggle. There were so many trials last year, and... I can tell you that in 2017, you're going to have trials. I can guarantee it. 2017, Jesus said in this world we would face tribulation. Paul said, oh, all those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. So the more you live godly, you'll be persecuted. In the New Testament, the early church was filled with trouble. If you went through 2016 with no trouble, see me after the service. I want to know your secret. <laughs> I want to know your secret. This psalm teaches us how to handle trouble in a godly way. 
And this goes with the entire theme of the psalm of dealing with trouble by being committed to the word of God. It is, it is a psalm that I've seen over and over and over takes us back to the word of God. Now, let me explain why we take this at the beginning of the year. It's because I like to have us do a little stewardship at the beginning of the year. A steward is one who has been given something. And Carl mentioned it last week. There's a reality that we've all been given time, talent, and treasure from God. Every one of you I know has some abilities. You do. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been gifted. I know that you've got some treasures, and this isn't like how to manipulate the money from you. And you've got time. And a reality of this truth of having your time, your talent, your treasure, is that every person in this room will one day face God and give an account for their life. The Bible is very clear of that. Now, I can become manipulative in how I work this to try to, you know, squeeze out service and use of your time, your talent, your treasure. But the thing that I know is so critical is to get you committed to the word of God and let, that, let it flow out of how you're going to use your time, talent, and treasure. Because if you're in the word of God, you will be someone that I believe uses your time, your talent, your treasures properly. And so what better way than to go into a psalm that keeps taking you back into the word of God. So here's a couple background points. You, <coughs> excuse me, if you have your sermon notes, you can maybe flip us on the back. Number one, we don't know who wrote this. We don't know who wrote this psalm. It could be David. A lot of times people say, oh, David wrote this psalm. I went through a whole list when we did our background study originally, like Ezra and others, but I can tell you that if I had to lean on anyone, I'd say Daniel. Um, so much of this psalm fits with Daniel. There's people who say that the Hebrew is a Hebrew of the year 1000 BC. Um, Daniel would be around 600 BC. So how that fits, I can't explain it. But I'm telling you, when I look at any other character in history, of the Jewish history, <coughs> excuse me, I believe Daniel is one who fits. Because there's parts of it would fit, like being a young man, like Daniel was taken in as a young man, and then being in a political situation where he's being persecuted fits, I think, with Daniel more than fits with David. So, but bottom line is we don't have an inscription that tells us who wrote this. So it leaves us a little bit wondering, like, well, how does this apply to certain situations? Well, maybe it allows us to apply it in other um, situations where maybe we wouldn't, know, um, by not having, uh, you know, a um, definitive, oh, David wrote this, uh, or Daniel wrote this. Number two, it is an acrostic psalm. And an acrostic is, you know, where some type of pattern is used. And, and the pattern here is that the author took all 22 consonants. Remember, there are no vowels in the Hebrew language. We get the vowels more from an inferred, like, pointing system but in hebrew there are just there are just consonants and there are 22 of them and if you could read this psalm in hebrew you would see like the very first section the the is called the aleph stands and some of your bibles actually have hebrew letters this is 
Like, if you ever wonder, like, what are Hebrew letters? Where are the Hebrew letters? Uh, you can, like, in my Bible, I can go to verses 1 to 8, and it's called the Aleph section. It's sort of, um, it, it's the very first consonant in Hebrew. The second is, is Beth. Third is Gimel. And if you could read this in Hebrew, you would see that every verse, for the first eight verses, begin with that letter Aleph, and then 9 through 16, Beth. Now, why would God do this? Well, part of this is just, I believe, the beauty of who God is. It's genius in how it's written. There are other, there are other acrostics like this in the Bible. Um, I'm trying to think of Psalm 9, Psalm 10. I think there's a section. Um, I can't remember right now. There's other sections that have this, but nothing that has 172 verses. This one stands as the epitome of acrostics in the in the bible it, it's one that um just tells me the incredible beauty of god's scripture god's word and i think you know like i've always said you can take passages that say you know husbands love your wives do not steal do not lie you you can look at things and say well that that tells me what god's commands and god's structures are but I think for me to try to also understand God, there's an incredible beauty in how he's written his word. And I feel bad at times that we all don't know Hebrew. And I say that sincerely. I, I say that, that I wish we could all just see this because as I've struggled with trying to figure out the path through this, um, 172 verses, where I know that most people get lost in. And that part of why I've really wanted to get this down is because I really want to be able to, to help you not get lost. And like I've said, I realize there's no story here. I wish you went through the first eight verses and then nine and then just picked up and then we're all said and done. It'd be all over. I think the acrostic was part of the story in the sense of, okay, this is, this is how God wanted maybe people to memorize it, to understand the truths of it. But as I, as I work through this, and we're going to come to the shin stanza. Shin is like, sort of like um, a W with a dot on it, okay? Um, we'll see that every stanza has a mini theme. If you look on your sermon notes, it says, affirm your integrity. The shin stanza is going <laughs> to really work to affirm our integrity. And I'll talk about that in a second. So number two is that we see this as an acrostic. Number three is that the writer is in trouble. This isn't a situation where he's just joyful and blessed because everything is working nice. Look at a couple verses. Jump down to verse 25 and feel the pain. Think of the pain. My soul, verse 25 says, cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 28 my soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. That's intensity there. Verse 69, jump over to verse 69. Verse 69 says, The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. So people are lying about him. He's been so low, he's like in the dust. And I remember when we were talking about that, that was an expression almost like how a snake crawls through the dust. Verse 84, verse 84. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? When will it stop? When will these people stop? I can't take it anymore. Anybody ever say that? Okay. Number, verse 121. 
I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Don't let these people win out. Verse 143. The trouble and anguish have come upon me. Let your commandment, yet your commandments are my delight. Trouble and anguish have come upon me. It's like weighty, heavy. My goodness, you go through a tough time, you go through a trial. Don't you ever feel that weight? Verse 161, where we're going to be eventually in the next few weeks. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I'm persecuted without cause. So understand here that when we, when we go th- through this psalm, this person's in trouble, and his commitment to the word of God is going to be a key thing, key way for him to work his way through this. Now, this is what I always like to make clear. The author is in trouble, but we need to be reminded it is not marital trouble, it is not financial trouble, it is not parenting trouble, it is not career trouble. People are out to destroy him, and throughout this psalm, he emphasizes how important the word of God is to him. But this is crucial that we grasp this, because when we come to an issue and we see how important the word of God was to him, I believe we should affirm the same commitment, okay? As I stated in my prayer, the word of God is a lamp unto our, to my, our feet and a light unto our path. <coughs> Paraphrasing it. And I ask you, as you go into 2017, is your commitment to the word of God that high? And, and so here, if you go back to the beginning, verse 1, I want you to see th- this fourth fact. Not only we, we don't know who the author is, and we see it's an acrostic, and we see the author, though, is in trouble. What you need to recognize is that the word of God is emphasized, and it's emphasized in a really unique way here. It's unique in the sense that almost every line of this psalm has a reference to the word of God. Look at verse 1. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 2. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. And then you can jump down to verse 4, his precepts, and then his statues in verse 5, and his commandments in verse 6. Um, someone get the lights, we're going to have a little slideshow here. But what you need to understand is that God allows every line, except for one, verse 122, to have a reference to the Word of God. It's, it's unique in that. Now, for those who really love Hebrew... Okay, There's a, here's a little fun fact that I haven't brought up in the past 16 years. Six of those verses, so watch this, this is get, kind of get technical. There's 172 verses in this psalm. One, 122 does not have a reference to the Word of God. Six of those references are not direct synonyms, but are ethical considerations from the Word of God. <laughs> so like verse 3 and verse 37 that reference the ways Ways you wouldn't say are a synonym, but they are ethically what comes out of knowing God's word. And so there are six of those that are used. Now, what I wanted to do with the slideshow is to visually impress upon you the eight key synonyms that are in this psalm. And if you could grasp these, I believe it helps you to grasp the depth of the word of God. So, we're looking at the words for the word of God, eight synonyms used in Psalm 119. 
pulling my notes from Dr. George Zemeck, The Word of God and the Child of God. Dr. Zemeck was my professor in seminary. Still someone I can talk to. You, have, you guys have to understand, Dr. Zemeck was the most technical. He would do pastor conferences, and he would make pastors and professors with his long and big words just have headaches. <laughs> he was that kind of guy, but incredible in his genius. And he put together these synonyms with some backgrounds, and I'm going to share them with you. Number one is like when you saw in verse one, it talks about the ones who walk in the law of the Lord. It comes from a Hebrew word, and I'm not going to give you the Hebrew except for one other time, but I will on this one because you hear it a lot. It's the word law. It's used the most in Psalm 119. Um, <coughs> it, it's rendered law, instruction, direction, and the verb stem conveyed pointing out, teaching, directing, or instructing. Sometimes when you hear the word law, and this last point is, sometimes you hear the word law and people think just of the books of Moses. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But this word law is probably closest to the synonym when we think of the word scripture. We think of the word Bible. So grasp that. And I, the reason I gave this little picture is that it is direction for us. It is that which God points out. So I put a scroll with kind of pointers. <laughs> so when you think of the law, I want you to think of God's teaching. It's his instruction. And it's the roadmap for life. The second term is testimonies. And I always get a kick out of this word because it is a word that means to bear witness. And how often do I really think of the Bible as a testimony? I'm going to pick up my testimony. Well, it's, it's a testimony because it's a testimony describes a person, right? And I'd say my testimony is, and I'm going to fill in the blank. But how often do you think God says, I'm giving you who I am in, my bi in this Bible? And it's plural because I think of all the parts. It's all the parts of the Bible work together to give us a testimony as to who he is. So testimonies. The third concept is one I always struggle with. Precepts. Um, precepts conveys the idea of what God declares he expects of man. Precepts, orders. And I, well, I, just, I saw this little cute picture of, of order, walking. And sort of like, this is what God wants. He gives you an order, you do it. The, these are precepts. All right? And Dr. Zemek pointed out the sovereignty of Yahweh is seen in this word. Why sovereignty? Because God can tell you what to do. That's what you got to see. You know, there's got this got to be this heart attitude. If God says something and I don't want to do it, I don't care. You know, I can't say I don't care. I got to do it because it's precepts. Statues. And I don't know how well this picture comes out, but that's a Bible like in steel because it's the word statue comes from a word to hew, cut in, engrave, inscribe. There's a lot of pictures on the internet of Ten Commandments in stone, all right? It's not just the Ten Commandments. It came to mean that which is ordained, decreed, prescribed, enacted. It conveys a binding force and permanence of Scripture. It's like, all right, you know, God wrote this Bible, and I'm just going to go erase pages, <laughs> you know, 115 and 120, because I don't like those. 
You don't do that. These are inscribed. They're engraved. Commandments. You think, well, commandments should be pretty easy. It's like someone tells you what to do. This was a fun fact for Hebrew people. It's not from the general Hebrew word to command. It's from a word that conveys the straight authority of what is said, not merely the power to convince or persuade, but the right to give orders. It reveals the will of Israel's Lord. It's the person who's also behind it conveying his authority. I thought that was interesting. A little stronger word, if I could say that, and God's commandments. Number six, judgments. It's real simple. It conveys the idea of a forensic or legal decision, the act of judging. Who made you judge? Who decided? Who decided that it's only this way or that way? Who decided? God decided. What do you mean there's only one way to heaven? What do you mean that, that this is the way you want things done? Who are you to say this? It's God because he's the one who made the judgments. And you have to think about his word. His word is judgments. And here's the second Hebrew word I'm giving you. Because it's the most common Hebrew word for God's communication. Dabar. Word. And it conveys the divine expression. God speaks. It's his word. It can, can, it can indicate an individual message or the sum total of God's message. So we've got God's word. We've got what he has said. And now it's in his Bible. Now it can also convey a promise, which kind of conv- picks up with the um, next word. But I want you to think about this. The word of God. When we say it's the word of God, it's what God has expressed. And then lastly, the interesting word for promises is another Hebrew word that is often sometimes translated word. But based upon the context, and especially in Psalm 119, we're going to see it often translated promise. And And I think that's interesting because God's words are promises and i use the picture of the rainbow where god keeps his promises god said he'd have a rainbow after the flood right and so he's kept his promise this word will be used in a general sense for the promises of god or for specific promises now here catch this see i found this picture and i like this because the 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 they, i missed this they work together to form a complete picture of god's word torah law testimony precepts statutes commandments judgments word promises you fit that all together and you begin to get an understanding when you think of your bible think of all of these expressions okay think of all of those expressions so get the lights (coughs) and the psalmist is just trying to get us to understand how important the word of god is now one last point for the background and the one last point is just this is that I believe after working through this psalm over the past 16 years, the theme of this is, is this, is the author is trying to tell us to honor God and to trust his word no matter what you face. No matter what you face. And, and, and I tell you, when you get emotional, when you get distraught, when you get like so justified as to why you can act in a certain way, God's word is ultimately what needs to guide and shape and mold you. And that is what you're seeing throughout all these verses. And I would hope that, you know, over the next few weeks, you're just going to take Psalm 161 to 168. Why don't you turn there now and see 
that these stanza, this, this stanza, I would hope would be true of you. And maybe through the next year, you'll take a stanza every month or something, and you'll just read it, and you'll contemplate it, and you'll dwell upon it, and you'll say, this, this will be true of me. Let, let me just read 161 through 168. It says, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day, I praise you. Because of your righteous ordinances, those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. No matter if it embarrasses him, no matter what it costs in his life, this person, whether it be Daniel going to the lion's den, and, you know, Daniel, are you going to honor God and stop and keep praying, or are you going to honor the king? No. Daniel says, I'm going to honor you. Jesus, are you going to give in to the religious leaders of the day and just honor what they want and have you shut up? Are you going to go to the cross? Who are you in a situation of pressure? Are you one that's going to honor God? And even when you're falsely treated, when things go, don't go your way, Jesus wasn't, all, wasn't treated nicely. He was the nicest, kindest man ever. And he could have said, why should I honor this word? Well, it's because he was committed to God's word no matter what. And that's what Daniel was. All right. So here as we come to verses 161, here's a section that fits perfectly with the theme, be committed to God's word no matter what. And it's be one that affirms your integrity. Defining integrity is the quality of being honest and upright and having strong moral principles and being consistent with them. And I ask you, as you go into 2017, are you someone that's, one that has integrity? Or do you justify little lies and little outbursts and your anger and your sin? God wants us to be people who have integrity, who are always committed to his ways, no matter what pressure we find. So many people have justification for their little sins. Look at verse 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. We're going to see six ways that this, in this section, the author affirms integrity. I thought it was really interesting. Again, just a little fun fact. What stands out of this section, and I know we've just read it one time fully, and I've read it often this week. You know what stands out in this section? This is like one of the first sections or only sections in the entire 172 verses where there is not a prayer request. There's no prayer request here. He, this is just, this is who I am. I don't care. It's almost like if he's coming to the end and he's just saying, I am going to be committed to God no matter what. And so fill in the blank with the word fear because the very first action he does, tells, shows us is he's going to fear God in his word over man. Verse 161, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. The writer speaks of royal people in the government that are severely coming after him for no reason. We must take his word that he is innocent. 
And whatever pressures they are putting on him, he will not dishonor God because he holds God higher. He respects God more. He fears God more than man. He contrasts their wickedness with his worship. Uh, and he says, I'm, I see your wickedness. I see how hard you're coming at me, but it's not going to bend me. It's not going to change me. One author said it best. His fear of God's words are greater than that of any earthly ruler. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, but I've heard of this, like especially with people who like, maybe they're angry with the president. And this, in my lifetime, I can go all the way back to Kennedy, okay? Um, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Carter, <coughs> Reagan, you go on and on and on. Bush, Clinton, Bush again, Obama. People will be angry at the president. And they want to show him a piece of their mind. But what happens is when you get to that Oval Office, it's been said that all of a sudden something changes. And the pressure comes upon you. And a lot of people who have come into the Oval Office to give the president a piece of their mind back down. They, they give under that pressure. And they don't say what they want to say because they fear the office. And I, so I've seen this in my lifetime. I've seen people talk about this. And then I also know when you've got political rulers, whether it could be the governor or you can have a mayor put pressure on people, that, hey, they can get, get the police after. They can make life hard for you. Well, if this is Daniel, and we know that Daniel is in the second highest position in, in Babylon's kingdom, and princes are persecuting me without cause. There's, a, there's the word for princes. We don't know specifically. It could be, it was a word that was used for chieftains. It was used for elders in the Bible. It was used for heads of family. Chieftains in Judges 5.15. Heads of families in Ezra 8.29. Elders in Job 29.19. But they are basically people with power. People with power are persecuting me, bringing pressure, bringing difficult things into my life. And he uses a combination of Hebrew words that would say, there is no reason for it. It's without cause. And I don't know about you, but I've come in my life and analyzing my life is I hate when I'm blamed for something without when I haven't done it. You know? I can own up when I've done something very, I find, very easily. But when you blame me and I didn't do it, oh, gosh. You know, that's just my own pride and stuff like that coming to an ugly forefront. But this person is saying, hey, I haven't done anything. And they're putting pressure on me. And like, again, if it was Daniel and they wanted him to stop praying, he's saying, look at verse 161, the second half, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Your heart is your moral center. And, and he uses a word for awe, which conveys more the concept of dread. There's Hebrew words that we're going to look at or that talk about the fear of God, and when you typically think of the word for fear, there's a different word that is used predominantly for the concept of fear. This is a word that is a little more intense, and what the author is saying is when it really comes down to it, it's what you say <coughs> your words, your words, what you've expressed is what 
puts me shaking in my boots because I recognize that ultimately you're the one that is in authority. You're the one that's driving everything. You're the one that I have to eventually answer for. And if you could grasp this concept today, I know that 2017 will be changed for you because ultimately the person who has the fear of God is the one that is going to be blessed. This psalmist is conveying attributes of his life, and I am hoping that you're saying, I want that. And this very first one is affirm the fear of God in your life and say, I want that too. I should have it. Look, I want you to take you through three verses. We'll do it quickly of how important these are. And using the regular word for fear it will be the main concepts in these passages. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Okay? This, I didn't take the word for dread and, and do this. I just wanted to start with this word here. <coughs> Excuse me. Proverbs. So we got, I want to take you through three passages that if you live by these three passages in conjunction with Psalm, 160, Psalm 119, verse 161, you're going to be blessed. Look at Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that's the basic word for fear. That's not even the dread word. It's the fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Not, first and foremost, if you go into 2017 with this basic foundation, how do I build my life? How do I make my life strong? The, the foundation here is, I, I believe, like how you build a house and, and what is the, the, the basis of your life? Is it the fear of the Lord? Is it that God is someone that you have to answer to? That he sees in secret. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what no one else knows. He knows and you cannot, with your thoughts, with your words, with your actions, and with your omissions, get away with anything. How important it is to have the fear of the Lord at the foundation of your life. How important is it then for you to be reading Proverbs and reading other passages and understanding who God is so that you have a proper fear of Him? And the word fear conveys, and you know, sometimes they use the word awe, but it's a healthy dread. Be afraid of God. I want you to understand this. As much as we want to show God as a loving, kind, gracious God, there needs to be a reality. You need to be afraid of him. Turn back to Psalm 34. This is a psalm, you know, this is in my own reading this week. I thought, you know what? I'm going to read this entire psalm. I don't know if, how often you guys work through the psalms, but the second passage is one tying fear and blessing together, all right? And I want you to listen to this as we go through this. How often God talks about blessing in the 34th Psalm, but he talks about fear. How they work together. This was a Psalm of David. I, verse 1, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my, in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered it. And he delivered me from all my fears, all the things that I would dread, right? They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. 
The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who what? Fear him. You should underline it. All right? I'm going to bless the Lord at all times, but i got to remember, the Lord, the angel of the Lord encamps himself around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. This should be a song, right? Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you what? The fear of the Lord. You know, teach our children the ABCs. But do we teach our children, fear God, fear the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I think about, you know, how many people don't seek peace, don't work to pursue peace. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. None of them is broken. Right? We know this was ultimately fulfilled with Jesus Christ. Verse 21, evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. I want to bless the Lord at all times. I want God's blessing. At the heart of this psalm, you remember Psalm 34. It's easy to remember Psalm, Proverbs 1-7, but will you remember this one of how fear and blessing are intertwined? The psalmist back in 119 was being persecuted, and he could have given every reason and every excuse to say, you know what, God, you forgot me. God, you don't care about me. I'm just going to do what I want to do in some way, whether it's through my mouth, through justification of my actions, I am going to act my way. But he's saying, no, I fear you greater then I fear those whom I see. One last passage from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out into the world. (coughs) And he he recognizes they're going to face a lot of opposition. And he gives this famous verse, one that should be starred in all your Bibles. And he says in verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Because God is serious. He's going to throw people to hell. And God knows who you honor. And we talk about praying about 2017, about being people who are witnesses and being bold with the gospel. My hope and my heart is that it's because you honor God and you do recognize that loving, kind Jesus who holds the lamb in a lot of these portrayals of Jesus, they, they forget this, that Jesus is saying you better fear God because you've got to recognize God throws people into hell. And if you shut up, if you're quiet, it's meaning that you fear man more than you fear God. And God is saying those 
who kill the body don't throw people in the hell. I throw people in the hell. You better honor me. You better have a fear of me. So go back and we'll quickly wrap up Psalm 119, verse 161. It's hard to get that out. Psalm 119, verse 161. And you see the very first affirmation. In 2017, will you affirm, I fear God and his word over man? Verse 161 says, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. What you say, God, I have dread over because I recognize they come from you. It's not that I fear this Bible, it's I fear the God behind the Bible, right? So look, I want all of you to have a blessed life. And it starts with fearing God. And you fear God because you recognize what he said about you is true, that you're a sinner, and you need Jesus. And if you've come and you've placed your faith in Christ, and you're born again, perfect love casts out fear, right? And the idea is that now I have this proper fear of God. My hope and my desire as you go into 2017 is that when you fear God, it's, it's a fear and awe, respect that is far greater than anything that's on this earth. And that his word is precious. Have you come in regularly reading his word and implementing his word, his law, the Torah? Think about these words now. The testimonies, the precepts, the statutes, the commandments, the judgments, the word, the promises that all convey this Bible, that tell us about who God is and what he expects of us. May 2017 be a year in which you truly do fear the God of the Bible more than you fear anything that's on this earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us forewarning, that you're serious about what we fear. I thank you, God, for the depth of your word, where it takes us, and there's so many nuances. And yes, I am overwhelmed, and I know others are going to be overwhelmed with Psalm 119. 172 verses, God, and it's not a story, but you, you, you convey character. And I, I'm asking, God, that the men and women here have character. Character that says your word is to be held in high regard. And if we're not loving and gracious and we're so arrogant and we think we're better than others and we think that we are not seen when we do certain things, well, woe is us. Help us, God. I don't know what pressure people will face. Pressure from a boss, pressure from a neighbor, pressure from a family member, pressure from just wanting to fit in at school. I just ask, God, that we would see you as one that we need to honor more than that prince or princess that puts pressure on us. Help these people, God, because I care for them. I'm hoping that today is just a good reminder for the men and women in our congregation of who to really fear. Because I know, God, they may not be facing the persecution of a prince, but they will have pressure in marriage. They will have pressure with their children and jobs and society. Maybe from a mayor, from a government, there will be pressure from a policeman. 
Help us, God, to honor you more than anything that we face on this earth. It'll be hard at times, God. If, it, if this passage was Daniel, Lord, none of us would want to be thrown to the lions. We have no word that Daniel was promised that he wouldn't be eaten. And we know, God, sometimes death comes to those that honor you. I'm just asking, God, that everyone in this room trust you, no matter what they face, a loss of job, loss of a relationship. May we just trust you. May Psalm 119 greatly impact us this year, God, as we're all to be committed to your word. In Christ's name, amen.